Thank you for downloading this episode of A History of Central Florida podcast. This is the podcast where we explore Central Florida's history through the artifacts found in local area museums and historical societies. This series is brought to you by Riches, the regional initiative to collect the histories, experiences, and stories of Central Florida, and the Orange County Regional History Center. I am Chip Ford, and I will be your host for today's episode, Wartime Civil Defense. Today, we will feature artifacts from the Museum of Geneva History, a training disc, and other materials used in Central Florida to help identify German, Italian, and Japanese aircraft during World War II. The Aircraft Warning Service, or AWS, was an organization through the U.S. Army Ground Observer Corps, with the help of the American Legion. Civilian volunteers would be the bulk of the AWS, and they would be trained to spot the differences between Allied and Axis aircrafts. The AWS was formed in the spring of 1941. After the bombing of Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, the United States entered the Second World War as combat was already raging in Europe, Africa, and Asia. Americans feared another attack on U.S. soil, similar to previous enemy actions when the country was at war. Civilians across the country mobilized in an effort to protect the home front, and for many of them, it was a way to contribute to the war effort directly, if they could not serve in the military. Throughout the country, and in many communities in central Florida, observation stations were created so local residents could sit and identify planes that flew overhead 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Air raid warning sirens were installed on them in case residents needed to be evacuated, but these towers were mostly used for information gathering. These towers were part of the Ground Observer Corps. Dr. Mark Long from the University of Central Florida explains how they worked. The discs were distributed um, to people who had volunteered to serve in the watchtower. So after Pearl Harbor, there's, um, you know, reasonably there's a panic in the United States. And it's not limited just to the West Coast. Uh, there are, there's a panic on the East Coast as well. And frankly, there's a panic throughout. Uh, but people on the East Coast were afraid that... The, you know, a similar attack might happen at any moment uh, on two cities that are uh, on, the, on the coast itself. And so what happens is, a, is a, basically a picket fence of observation towers are built from Florida to Maine uh, along the beaches so that um, to be manned by volunteers and civil defense systems that would watch for airplanes coming from the open Atlantic. And they're, they're staffed by volunteers, men and women, mostly men, we think, but, uh, but we certainly know of, of a number of women who were volunteering as well. And as the war dragged on and more and more men were either in uniform or working in, in war industries, they became even more populated by, by women. But they're amateurs who had no particular training in, you know, in what uh, you know, an enemy aircraft looks like. So civil defense um, organizers basically created a disc that would allow them via silhouette views from t from the bottom as well as from the side to identify exactly what is an enemy plane versus what is an American plane so that they can then phone in. There's often a phone line in these towers. They could call in uh, to their superiors if they saw a plane that matched an enemy plane silhouette on their disc. The disc, referred to by Dr. Long, appears with other educational material for civilian volunteers working in the observation towers. Most of these volunteers were trained on these materials 
and spent long hours waiting for their training to be put to use. Information gathered by the local AWS would be sent to secret information and filter centers across the eastern seaboard for analysis. The Palm Beach Post reported in the summer of 1941 that up to 200 women comprised the personnel that studied the data that came in and reported their finding to the military at these information centers. We asked Mary Jo Martin, curator of the Geneva History Museum, how the town of Geneva connected to this national civil defense system. Here in Geneva, we had one of these observation posts called an OP, and they were manned by local, mostly women and teenagers because the men were off to war. Um, occasionally, their husbands would stay with them if they were on duty at night, and they would climb the tower, which was not too far from where our post office is now, and watch the skies for airplanes. Two of the ladies who were uh, observers at that time, uh, local people, Betty Schlusmeyer and Helen Alderman, had these training materials left from when they were trained. Betty Myers and Helen Alderman, who were mentioned by Mary Jo Martin, were known as spotters. And there was a humorous story that went around during the time that men and women would commonly suffer from spotter's neck in the towers. Women formed the majority of the Civil Defense Observation Tower staff, reflecting a larger trend in America's workforce as the home front mobilized for full-scale military preparation. Dr. Gary Mormino, Professor Emeritus at the University of South Florida, St. Petersburg, gives us more insight into the shift of women into the war effort. The great crisis on the home front in World War II is uh, labor shortage. I think Fortune magazine wrote, for the first time since the Civil War, every Southerner who wants a job can have one. So, but, but what happens when you take 16 million men out of the labor force, you don't have supplies of new immigrants coming, there's a, there's a vacuum, uh, and, and African Americans move north to, to fill those industrial jobs. So in Florida, you have a, a serious labor crisis, not just uh, on, the, on the shipyards, but also for volunteering. So it's only natural that women would assist in this endeavor. This was part of a broader effort to involve the civilian population in the war effort. Not only did local residents assist in the observation towers, but they would turn their home lights off at night to practice blackouts and engage in frequent drills and alerts to prepare for a potential attack. On the part of the government, this was important because while a large-scale attack from Europe was unlikely, it was important to connect the civilian population to the war. That way, local residents would feel they were contributing to the war effort and thus would engender greater support for the conduct of the war. As such, some of these training materials were then disseminated to the general population, as Dr. Gary Mormino tells us. I was always struck reading the newspapers of that era how much the public was caught up in, in both the fear of uh, a German attack and also their, their obligation to know the profiles of German planes. A lot of Florida newspapers would print every day the silhouette of what a German Messerschmitt looked like uh, as opposed to maybe a P-51 Mustang. So it wasn't just the people in the towers. The public, I think, became infatuated with both American firepower and, and, and uh, uh, aviation, but also this, this 
commitment. We're all in this together, and then uh, we have to we have to patrol the skies. And you also have to realize that in uh, June of 1942, Florida was invaded by uh, German saboteurs. So there would be uh, an extra impetus in Florida fearing this. The observation towers along the coast were a little different from the ones in the interior of Florida because they were used to inform the U.S. Coast Guard of not only planes, but also ships and submarines in the Atlantic Ocean. Many German U-boats operated just off the coast of central Florida. At least 40 ships were attacked by German submarines in Florida waters. George Speedy Harrell tells us about the La Paz that was sunk off the coast of Cocoa Beach, close to where Highway 520 meets the ocean today. Along the coast they had towers for the Coast Guard. Well, there was several, several ships sunk off the coast here. In fact, the La Paz was one that was torpedoed and the captain was able to run it aground and it was approximately at the end of 520 and it was salvaged. I think it was a banana boat or no, it was a freighter because it had some Johnny Walker Scotch whiskey on there that they tried to rescue Johnny Walker. <laughs> the AWS and the Ground Observer Corps incorporated local civilians into the war effort by educating and informing them of potential threats by sea and air. This had the result of making the civilian population feel as if they were directly connected to the conduct of the war and contributed to its successful completion. With the war's end in 1945, the effort and infrastructure of the observation towers, as well as the AWS, were then put to use in the Cold War. The keen eye of civilians in central Florida shifted from German and Japanese planes to the threat of the Soviet Union. Cold War exercises that involved the civilian population in preparation for a Soviet nuclear attack, such as duck and cover, or recognizing Soviet military planes or ships, had their start during World War II. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of A History of Central Florida podcast. For more information about the items featured in this episode, please visit the Museum of Geneva History, located at 165 First Street, Geneva, Florida, 32732. Make sure to join us for our next episode titled Icons of Hate.